May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. So most of us know this gospel lesson as the rich young ruler, although Mark only calls him a man, just just an ordinary man. But in a later verse, we find out that he is rich. Matthew, he's the only one who says he is young. And Luke is the only one who says he is a ruler. And the fact that this gospel lesson shows up in all three is a fairly good indication that this story is probably true and that the story is very important. But we probably would have been a lot happier if this story never showed up at all. Because in this story, once again, we're learning about discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like? And maybe, what does it cost us? Go and sell everything you own and follow me. Yikes. Mark is definitely ratcheting up the difficulty factor for following Jesus. And you can bet anytime money is entered into in a theological conversation, or in this case, the Bible, we start scrambling for metaphors. Jesus really was, he was talking about addictions or bad relationships we're not willing to give up. Please, anything but money. But no, I really think he's talking about money. He's talking about the haves and the haves-nots, the rich and the poor. And nothing has changed. In this world, today we have the rich, we have the extremely rich, and we have the obscenely rich spending money lavishly on possessions, either turning a blind eye to those without or actively working to keep salaries low and profits high. Jesus knew that money could do a lot of good, but he also knew for the most part, we become contaminated by the power that money brings us. And in turn, we contaminate the lives of others. So this is a story about money, but it's not just about money. In sermons and in other writings, the young man is variously portrayed as arrogant or privileged, just expecting to be handed the keys to the kingdom. Or perhaps he obtained his money from, by defrauding and swindling others. That's why Jesus quizzes him on the commandments. But I wonder, if the answer is simpler than that. I watched a movie several weeks ago uh, about the special master who was appointed for the compensation funds for the victims of 9-11. And the special master who was played by Michael Keaton had developed this complex spreadsheet that categorized 
the dollar worth for every single life that was lost. A janitor earned $23,000, so he was worth this amount. And the individual who earned $750,000, well, he was worth this amount. And the movie goes on to delve into this idea exactly of what is a human life worth? Is it just the salaries earned? Is it a title? Is it a fancy job? Is it future earnings? Or is it more than that? Is it being a good father or mother or a good friend or a good person or simply a kind person? And I don't think I'm alone here, because I think we do make judgments on others based on their wealth and on their status. And I think we do it to ourselves. We tie our own worth to our money or our status. I know I have. When I was getting, to retire, when I was getting ready to retire from my job, I had moments when I thought about what I was giving up. I was a director in a huge corporation. I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life. What was I thinking? In Arthur Miller's play, Incident at Vichy, an upper middle class professional man stands before the Nazi authority that occupied his town. And he shows his credentials his university degrees, his letter of reference from prominent citizens, and so on. And the Nazi asks him, is that all you have? And the man nods, and the Nazi throws it all into the wastebasket, and he said, good, now you have nothing. The man was emotionally destroyed, because for him, that was who he was, that was his worth were all of those, those things. And I wonder, I wonder if the rich young man, I wonder if he too believed that his only value was in his wealth and in his status and his possessions. And that if he gave that all away, he'd have nothing, be nothing, be of no value in the eyes of the world. I think he was afraid. I think he was simply afraid. And I think that's why he walked away grieving. And I wonder if we aren't all a little bit afraid. Um, Jesus, you might be just asking a little bit too much of us here. And then we see these words. Jesus looking at him, loved him. Jesus saw this young man exactly as he was. Saw his weaknesses and his potential. He saw through his fear and he loved him. Jesus knew that the young man's life had meaning and value just for who he was, a child of God, and had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with his wealth and possessions or his stature in the community. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And I don't know about you, but, but hearing that, I feel a little bit better 
that Jesus is looking at you and he's looking at me, seeing us, knowing us, and loving us anyway. Because I'm probably not going to walk out of this church today and give away everything I own. But maybe, maybe I will be a little bit more generous, a little bit kinder. Maybe I'll try a little harder to see the face of God in every single person that I meet and love them for just who they are. And perhaps knowing that we are so generously loved, we will all come to know that our lives and our worth are not found on a spreadsheet that lists our salaries and our possessions. Knowing that each and every life, yours and mine, everyone, everywhere, just as we are, has dignity and has worth. And nothing, and no one can change that. And no one can take that away. We find meaning in what we make of our lives and in how we live with one another, loving one another as we are so loved each and every day. In the epistle lesson today, the writer of Hebrews describes the word of God as active, sharp, and piercing, cutting through everything that we have put in place to protect ourselves from these stories of discipleship and following. Stories that, they're challenging. And they're challenging us to do better, to be better, to love more. And it's hard. This gospel lesson is hard to hear. And yet here we are, being asked the seemingly impossible to follow Jesus. And I have to admit that there are days that threading a camel through the eye of a needle would be way, way easier than following Jesus. And yet that's always the dilemma, isn't it? And here we are. And we keep trying, don't we? Or we wouldn't be here today, in this place, listening to these words, if we weren't. We keep asking the questions, how can we do this? How is it possible? And the answer is always the exact same thing, the exact same thing that Jesus told the disciples that day so very long ago. For mortals, it's impossible. But for God, for God, all things are possible. We have never had to do this all on our own. And that, my friends, that is good news for all of us. That's really good news.